Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Zachary Jeffries about his novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about writing in middle school, his mom encouraging his writing through journaling and creative writing, not to let age keep you from doing what you want, making writing friends online, building your team to help you make your book better, using movies for inspiration, using social media to monitor the book game, writing after everyone has gone to bed, and collecting advice to apply later. Angel of Fate This Grim Reaper just met his fate. High school sophomore Michaela Colfax was perfectly happy with her life, until she inherited a mysterious pair of scissors. They don't cut, but when holding them, Michaela begins seeing things like lines between people. Connections. With the scissors... She uncovers the ancient power of her lineage of Greek fates. If Grim Reaper in training Kane Morgan messes up one more soul harvest, he'll remain a disgusting human for the rest of his existence. But his new target has supernatural connections tying it to Earth. Now Kane's only hope is to find some force powerful enough to cut these ties. Can Michaela embrace her destiny fast enough to preserve the balance of life and death? Can Cain tolerate a human long enough to make Michaela into the fate he needs? And for the love of the gods, can the two of them work together for one minute without fighting? Yeah, for my uh, for my middle grade series, uh, uh, the Hide and Seek Chronicles, I had this idea for basically the government is has a secret top secret game of hide and seek, and that's how they develop weapons and camouflage technologies. And uh, in my head, it was uh, they get they get trapped uh, by this mysterious, maybe otherworldly force, and they are forced to continue to play. And they are they are they have to pretend and, and keep up appearances and play, but really the whole time they're trying to figure out how to defeat this otherworldly force and how to get free. So kind uh, of like Maze Runner, sort of, but not really. Yeah, no, no, no. That, like, that... we're trying to get out of the maze, but we're going to keep doing what they're telling us to do in the running in the maze, doing all the stupid stuff. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, once I had that idea and, and started writing it out, I realized there was just way too much to explain mm-hmm. heading into it. So I, I was like, oh, well, then let's do the story of how this boy first finds this uh, government game of high-tech hide-and-seek. And so that was book one. Uh, and then book by book, we finally get there. So so you're releasing, book, instead of an info dump, you're trying to more release along the way the information. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And, and 
and things happen to change it and it develops and grows. And so books three to four were really the meat mm-hmm. of, of the story. And then, uh, and then book five is after they think these, these problems are solved, how are they going to fix the giant problems that caused right. this in the first place and, and, and all of that. But, but that was really fun knowing that I was writing towards the big thing mm-hmm. and that and that the big thing wasn't they were going to go through the action of the big thing and there was going to be all the fun explosions and 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 all of that stuff but that the problems wouldn't be solved in mm-hmm. that way and that I still had the problems to solve in book five yeah that's kind of the way that I'm going with mine so originally it was like um I have also been writing since I was a kid, as most writers have. My first book was about our guinea pigs and the life that the guinea pigs led in the Barbie doll house. And <laughs> there's pictures and everything. Oh, um, so that's you know it's it's a storybook. Um, but I wrote that when I was like maybe uh, had to have been under nine because of the house we lived in at the time. Um, so seven, eight, maybe I wrote this book. Um, I have a copy of it still. We like bound it with like ribbon and it's like, it's fancy, fancy. Okay. Nice. Um, so then I kept like, I would try to write, but it would be like, I'd get one or two paragraphs down and then it's like, well, that's, that's the end of the idea. <laughs> so beginning of last year, I'm like, I started narrating September of 21 and like beginning of last year, I'm like, I want to do fiction. And so I start auditioning for fiction and no one was picking me. And I'm like, at the time I'd been doing the fiction podcast since like October of 21. So practice and getting better. And um, so finally I'm like, I'm just going to write my own book. If no one wants to hire me, I'll just narrate my own fiction books. There you go. (laughs) So about the time I'm starting on that, I start getting a lot of fiction books. And now I'm towards the end of last year, I was very bad at balance. So my own book Mm -hmm. did not get any work done on it. Yeah. Um, but this year I'm like, even if it's 10 minutes a day, you are working on your book. So I'm now having to read back through what I already did <laughs> because, mm-hmm. which is similar to yours. It's missing the descriptions and stuff, but I'm aware that that's missing. So I'm like, that needs to be added before anyone sees it. I removed access to everybody I'd given access to. So like no one can see it anymore. <laughs> um, But now I'm like working on this. But the original plan was, oh, it'll just be a single book. And then I'm like, no, because now I've got like a so there's like the big bad thing I thought was going to happen in book one. And now I'm like, oh, I have an even better, bigger, badder thing that I can do. So I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to drag book one on for, you know, 300,000 words just to get to this bigger, badder thing. So I'm like, all right, Mm -hmm. we're going to. The way mine is written, it's I can do the original storyline and then basically go back and follow other characters to get there. Um, So it's like superheroes that are made based on an accident kind of situation um, as as they are. But they're they're grown ups. (laughs) They're not kids superheroes. They're grown ups. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I can go back. So there's like the two main characters, but then I can go back in time and follow, you know, these other characters that didn't come in until later in book one. I can follow their journey of how they eventually ended up with their powers until, you know, eventually at the end you do the big, big bad after not a ridiculous quantity of these extra side character stories. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah. But every every superhero, you know, you look at like Justice League and stuff like that. There's got to be a team of at least you know four to six people that defeat the big bad thing. It's not typically oh, yeah. one. So if it's just one, then he's not that big of a bad. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I got to build my team, but I don't want it to be, oh, we followed these two people and then these, you know, other six people randomly popped in at the end of the book and now we finished the big bad. Like, I want to <laughs> be able to, you know, see the character development before, you know, follow Marvel where they did all the singular storylines before they started doing the, you know, ugh, my brain is just not working today. Before they started doing yeah. the group ones. You mm-hmm. got to kind of at least get a couple of the characters' individual lines done first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what do you do now? So you're on TikTok to talk mm-hmm. about your book. I randomly came across some of your videos this week. Um, so when did you start doing TikTok and how has that helped you promote your book? Uh, I started doing TikTok probably maybe this time last year. Okay. It's been it's been just about a year and it's been great. It's a, a very supportive uh, author community and mm-hmm. there's some great book recommendations on uh, the book talk side of it. Thus far, I've just found tons and tons of uh, reviewers and people that'll be ARC readers. I found a couple of beta readers and things like that. Uh, learned a lot uh, from other authors about what works and what doesn't and, mm-hmm. and and resources like that. So basically I think I'm doing what a lot of authors are doing and, and straddling author talk and book talk mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. And, uh, you know, giving readers space and, and everything and not, not inserting myself into the book talk side of things, but, you know, getting a chance to, to see what, what readers are saying about certain things and how they feel about, being approached with arcs and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Okay. And so you, do you have an account for both names that you use or just the one? Just the one. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really used to saying Z or Zachary Jeffries here. That's, okay. that's my, that's so my, so there's no secret. Right there. <laughs> there's no secret. No, you do both. <laughs> no, I just want them. I just don't want them listed as the same author in on online stores. Okay. Basically. That makes sense. Yeah. So like mine, so I have Freya Victoria and then I have Brie Carlisle is what I host the Daily Fiction podcast as, which, like, my family okay. knows about. Um, but my day job occasionally has, like, background checks, so I don't do any of this under my legal name because I'm go. like, I don't want them to. I mean, could they, if they searched hard enough, find it? Yeah, they could. But I'm like, so Freya, I make no secret of, like, the other stuff. But, like, my normal name, my real name, I don't, like, talk about. I talk about the Daily Fiction podcast, but not, no one knows what kind of books I narrate. They just know that I do narrate. So. There you go. There you go. I Gives mean, me you're freedom. not writing them, so I imagine, you know, you don't always want to be held responsible for whatever the, whatever is included. Well, and I don't know that I've ever, now, I have turned down um one book because the content was so it was so messed up that I was like I cannot do this I'm like I don't even want to do this under a separate pseudonym like Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to hear this and recognize me and tie it to everything else it was so so bad (laughs) like all the it it lacked uh, editing it lacked sensitivity reading it lacked all the things Gotcha. Um, and I was like, 
he, I had been told up front, like I've had to fire or not. He didn't fire. Several narrators had already dropped out and told him, like gave him reasons that were, when I read the book, I was like, that's not why they dropped out. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, kind. I'm like, listen, I'm also going to cancel on you, but here's the real reason why mm. people are dropping out. And it still does not have an audiobook made. I have not seen it up for audition since then. Um, so my guess would be he took it back to the drawing board. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like there is part of like, I didn't write it. Like I wouldn't write an erotica book, but like narrating wise, especially royalty share, they sell very well. So yeah. I've been hired on a few of them and I'm like, okay. Cause they sell, you know, my first few in like my first five or 10 audiobooks that I had narrated fiction wise, most of those were erotica. And I'm like, hey, these are selling really well. So why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, you wouldn't want, you know, your boss to call you in to ask you about these. I am my boss. Books. I am oh, okay, my boss. Nice. So <laughs> my sister, uh, we're kind of like co-managers of our company. And so like she... Um, she has a YouTube channel where she goes to these adult party resorts. <laughs> so like, oh, nice. we're both like, just don't tell, you know, all the other companies we work with that <laughs> what our side jobs are. <laughs> there you go. Let's just keep this over here separate from the Yeah, I'm like, as long as it doesn't interfere with the day job, it does not affect them at all. Yeah, so, I get it. So, and, I mean, and it's funny because I've had people... Um, on TikTok lives, like I'll be narrating live and I'll have people be like, oh, your voice sounds so familiar. And occasionally they'll be like, did you narrate this very spicy book? I'm like, that was me. Yes, it was. I did. In fact, do that. <laughs> I did. I, did. I, nice. I did. Not on TikTok live because I'd get banned for that. But <laughs> <laughs> I had I had a romance. I was, you you know, narrators get banned a lot for content, usually like violence or explicit content mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's like, as soon as I hit a thousand, I'm like, I know I'm going to get banned at some point. Let's figure out where that line is there so we don't go. cross it anymore. Um, so now I have like on my spreadsheet while I'm prepping a book, I have little check boxes. So on the chapter, if it's like, oh, crap, there's an explicit scene, I just mark it. Don't ever do this one on live. <laughs> Nice. Or smart, smart. or hop over on Discord and do it over there where my channel is. Um, or my server is like, you know, flagged for 18 and up or whatever. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> you have to figure out, same with books, what works best and what keeps you from getting banned from something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally. One of the reasons why I have my my pen names differently is because I have some some main characters that, that use heavy language and I don't want mm. someone like, oh man, my kid loved these middle grade books. Let's get Let's these other see ones. what else he writes. Yeah, yeah. So what is, um, so obviously you have a day job since you're new to writing and stuff. When do you find time to write? When do you do your writing during the day? Um, I generally write once everyone goes to sleep in my house at night. I okay. am a big writer. Once we put the kiddo to sleep, uh, I will start doing the writing. And then I mostly write from uh, 8, 8.30 to midnight every day is, okay. is, is my sweet spot. And that's, uh, but, I'm guessing that's your most awake time of the day to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. Often, <laughs> oftentimes it is. But I, I, I do here and there. Uh, I... 
really got heavily into writing at the same time that we uh, we had our daughter. So I really worked on making sure that I didn't need absolute silence, that mm-hmm. I could pick up the laptop or even Google Docs on my phone and, and get a couple of words in, mm-hmm. you know, waiting here, waiting there, or even you know, when the kiddo's drawing or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do I do squirrel away a lot of moments and minutes when when whenever I can. But my but my style it is is eight to twelve a night. Okay. And so what is coming next? You're working on the you're trying to finish out the middle grade series. You're working on the not middle grade series. What's the next yeah. we've got the next book's coming out February. Tell us about that one. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be uh, Angel of Fate, mm-hmm. and it is a, a grim reaper in training. Uh, he is uh, not the best at what he does. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he is he is learning the ropes from from his parents, and and has yet to prove that he can do this on his own. And until he is doing this on his own, he is living as a human and hates it. Just despises. <laughs> humanity and high school and all of these disgusting <laughs> oh things. they made him go to high school <laughs> they did it's pretty embarrassing uh and uh he gets an assignment and he's he's really headstrong and he's going to make this one work and he's going to do this assignment but the assignment that he has is uh has earthly ties that are going to make it difficult he he sees these earthly ties that are tying him to this plane of existence Meanwhile, there's a girl at school who uh, she inherits a mysterious pair of scissors from a grandmother she thought was long dead. Okay. And, uh, the scissors, uh, this girl is very crafty and, and she is into art. She does a lot of collage and she gets these scissors and they don't cut ribbon and they don't cut string or thread or paper or hair or anything. I see where and, this is going. <laughs> but when she holds the scissors, she starts to see things. She can see uh, lines connecting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the scissors are calling to her and she'll put them down. And all of a sudden she'll look down and they'll be in her hand. Mm. She won't remember how she picked them up and everything. And she discovers that her mom has been keeping from her that they are uh, in the lineage of Greek fates. Mm. So when the Grim Reaper finds this out, he is going to uh, dishonestly present himself as someone who is going to train her mm-hmm. at what she, what she needs, how to learn to be a, a Greek fate, uh, when really he is just getting her to a point that she can help him mm-hmm. with his soul assignment. It's uh, very, very loosely based on Pygmalion. Okay. Uh, which is a, a Greek story. It's the story of uh, Pygmalion was an emperor who was a sculptor, and he sculpted a, uh, a woman and then prayed to the gods, and they made her his wife. It's this very sexist story. And then... Uh, <laughs> as a lot of them were. <laughs> as they as they went, you really you grow up and you're like, oh, wow, these are all just about how awful Zeus was. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, then, 
I mean, he was. Oh, he, he absolutely <laughs> Oh, was. gosh, my wife found out about my mistress. Let me transform into some other animal to help help myself along yep. here. Yep. Or like, Hera went through all this trauma and took it out on this poor woman. Anyway. Uh, and then there was uh, another... Uh, there was a play by Shaw based on it called uh, Pygmalion. My Fair Lady is mm-hmm. also based on this story. And of course, my favorite, She's All That. <laughs> the old 90s rom-com. And I really... 90s? Was that really in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Are you talking, really you're talking... dug into... Wait, I'm thinking that? the wrong one. I'm thinking She's the Man. She's All That. I, mm-hmm. I have seen that one as well. But I, I was thinking... Like Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum oh, was no, like, no, no, that wasn't nineties. Uh, <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, and uh oh, I can't think of what the girl's name is. Yeah. Piper Piper Parabo? No, 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 no. Uh, no. She has a she, she she acted under a triple name. I can't think of it right now. Sarah Jessica well, well, Parker? No. No, 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 no. Well, it's the the brunette, the um she did a ghost show. Um Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yes. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Jennifer Love Hewitt. And and by the time it got the copy of the copy of the copy, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, a story of, you know, the popular the popular guys are talking about, oh, you couldn't, you you're so popular, you could make the the weirdest high school reject into the homecoming queen. And mm-hmm. they make a bet. Right. So they, they pick, oh, the art girl, the ponytail, glasses, no way. And no, uh, that is not that is not Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's, that's not? No, no, no. It's um let me look it up on my phone real quick. <laughs> okay. Uh but but anyway, in, in all of these, there's this overall uh criticism of why on earth would she stay with him? Rachel Lee After- Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. Thank you. It's Rachel Lee Cook. I was like, in picturing in my head, I'm like, no, it's not her. <laughs> you know, if Jennifer Love Hewitt played the same character in like the spoof, not another teen movie version of it. I well, think. and she usually played the popular girl. In most movies yes. she was in, she was usually the popular girl, which is why I was like, eh, it's not her. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, like, I think one of the ones thing a big thing that was missing from that story for me is mm-hmm. why on earth would she be with him? And for me, that the answer of it turned into something that, you know, I'm not going to write, I'm not going to write the, this from a, a woman's point of view. I'm not a woman. I, the feminist perspective, I can, I can understand uh, feminist criticism, but that's not necessarily my story to tell. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I could attach to is uh, upending a, traditional approach to this in a traditional power structure where what if this were the story very much like she's all that but you find out that in fact the girl is much stronger than the boy mm-hmm. her her power set her in this case mythological power set she absolutely overpowers this guy who has been doesn't forced to want her to humans, know that i imagine doesn't want her to know that and and he's been surrounded by these humans that he looks down on and he has considered himself above all of this his whole mm-hmm. life. 
And so that is something very, very different for him because he was raised to think that he was superior to those Mm -hmm. around him. And now all of a sudden there is a Greek fate who is a, a very rare supernatural being in this in this world and he does not know a lot about but he is still trying to maintain um this superiority in this uh in this power uh power dynamic right it's like i'm better than you but like she doesn't know anything about her history so it would make sense that he could trick her into (laughs) yeah i'm better than you i mean it's like you know any other any manager ever that you know you get really really good at your job but they still try to pretend like they know what you're doing better than you (laughs) yeah because eventually you might not need the manager the manager doesn't want you to know that right so what is if you were talking to a new author that hasn't written any books or maybe an author that um needs help in their writing what would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give um I mean, overall, it's always going to be not every piece of advice is for everyone. There's no right. universal piece of advice that 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 really works. So it really is a matter of learning to collect tools mm-hmm. so that when you are working later on, you will have a full toolbox mm-hmm. with which to from which to to grab different things and try different things, mm-hmm. but trying to apply every single bit of uh advice is 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 not going to help in in that way right this lies um, well and not every advice works for every genre either absolutely absolutely yeah some of the worst advice starts with now i don't normally read this genre but <laughs> true <laughs> true <laughs> or a romance author trying to tell you how to write your detective story exactly <laughs> it's like exactly do you, you know, cause that, I feel like detective would be a lot more of a, you would need the information, like more information driven, um, fact driven, mm-hmm. research driven, as opposed to a fantasy where you can just make the entire thing up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, yeah, so I, I think it really is a matter of, uh, I, I, I would tell a, a, a young author that you don't feel like you have to, that everything has to apply or that you have to. Uh, use every piece of advice and uh, be fine with listening to advice and saying, okay, thank you very much. And then never using it or just putting it on the back burner for Mm -hmm. if you ever run into a situation when you do need it. Right. Uh, And yeah, and just be picky about, about your sources and who you follow from. Like when I, when I first was writing, I was uh, listening to the podcast Writing Excuses, and then I was watching Brandon Sanderson's college lectures okay. uh, on YouTube, and uh, those were those were very helpful, and and I got a lot of th- a lot out of it. And then once I started consuming even even more uh, stuff on writing and classes and lectures and things like that, there's a lot of crossover and things that you hear over and over and over again. And those are the things that you stick with. And those are the things that follow with you and, and, and the stuff that you hear over and over again. But especially if you're hearing something for the first time or there's this advice giver is the only person that's saying this, mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to bet the farm on it. You know, Don't right. feel like you have to really put go all in on this person's advice. 
Right now, my big thing, and I just posted a video about this on my thing, um, is I'm very much a pantser that -hmm. because I only have limited amounts of time, I'm like, I need to be able to plot just a tiny bit. It doesn't need to be a giant, you know, I plot down to every scene, but some kind of a way to, you know, structure my novel where when I jump into it the next day for 10 to 20 minutes, I know where I need to be. So I'm not just staring at the page for 10 minutes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so um, thankfully I type ridiculously fast. Um, oh, but good. yeah. So, so when I am, you know, when everything is turned on and working, which right now I'm reading back through everything, but I am able to get those roughed, rough, mostly dialogue bits of chapter done. And then I'd seen, um, and this is definitely the way that I'm going to have to take. I'd seen someone talk about they get, they don't have like a, a outline ahead of time. They write mm-hmm. their first draft and they're just write it as fast as they can. And then they will go down and in each chapter, they'll edit it chapter by chapter until they, you know, get those chapters done and ready. And then they put it all together, read back through it, make sure it's, you know, all good as a cohesive book. And then, you know, publish or whatever, or go off to an editor or whatever it is you need mm-hmm. to do next with your book. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's that's going to have to be me. Like, type, when I say fast, I'm like 100 words a minute-ish. Oh, wow, um, nice. So, I, you know, when I'm there and the ideas are flowing, I can type fast. If I'm, you know, staring at the page for 10 minutes going, what happens next? That's what I need to avoid. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but at the end of the day, even like a... Okay, this is the point we need to get to because that's our big thing for this book in my head. I know, like, just get what do the characters need to do to get there? They can't jump from, oh no, we have superpowers to suddenly fighting the bad guy. There has to be yeah. some learning how things work, period, in there. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in trouble. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I was lucky enough that I did spend so long, um, especially in like playwriting and theater, mm-hmm. that like the shape of story and the 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 rising action and in there are so many different approaches. There are so many people that do the saves the cat or the Hollywood method. There are some pretty simple like Shakespearean like five act approaches or, mm-hmm. or even a, a two or a three act. I do something called the um, the fry tag pyramid is what okay. what I was pretty much uh, taught, and everything that I'm doing, every idea that I have, automatically just slides into that. Mm-hmm. And so that I know that I have to have this is your baseline life, this is your inciting incident, mm-hmm. and there are complications and rising actions all the way up to a climax, and then the fallout, and then a new norm, mm-hmm. and even if it's not the whole story, every scene follows that. Every chapter mm-hmm. follows that. Uh, if I'm separating the whole book into little books or parts, then each book or part falls falls into right. that. And so uh, I was very fortunate in that I had a background that the the shape of the story, the overall uh, plot structure was never something I had to be super conscious of because mm-hmm. I would automatically... Uh, write it in right and I am a pantser like you in that I'm a pantser but I do know the notes I do know I do have to hit this point I do have to hit this point I am writing towards this I am writing towards this Mm -hmm. which I think it's it's just done very well for me and that's that that has definitely 
uh, worked in my favor. Well, the one and only research that I did, I had to figure out I didn't want the entire population to get superpowers from this thing that's giving them powers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to figure out how to narrow down a small enough percentage of the population where enough people were going to have powers that you would know that people had powers eventually um, when it's okay. you know one or two or three people, the rest of the world's not necessarily going to know that. But when it starts showing up, like, you know, a couple thousand people have it or, you know, 20,000, 30,000. I don't remember what my like overall global population number was. Mm-hmm. So I started out on Google, like, um, what's the world population? OK, what percentage of the world population has this happened to? OK, So if that has happened to them, what if this also happened to that same person? And like it had to be things that I could, you know, readily get information from on Google Mm -hmm. um, as far as like percentages, but got it down to where it's like point zero 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 something of the population. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, so if um, the inciting incident has to be able to affect, you know, enough of the world where people are going to have powers. Um, So I'm like, okay, so if we've this inciting incident has happened to, say, 10,000 people, how many of those would have powers? (laughs) So just like I'm a I'm a especially with formulas like that. Spreadsheets are my friend because I can set all those percentages into the spreadsheet um, where I can plug in. Okay, um, it's all based on a vaccine. So they get a vaccine that gives them powers. Um. But it's, you know, what percentage of the population that got this vaccine should have powers? Because I don't want it to be everybody. That would be ridiculous. (laughs) Yes. That's a different kind of book. And then I also wanted to write one on, like, Greek myth or just mythologies in general, various mythologies. And so I tried to kind of, like, tie that into it at one point. And my husband was like, no. He's like, write your book (laughs) that you started, that you're 30,000 words into. Write that book the way you had that book, that you researched that book, and do your mythology somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, that's always always tough getting the the extra ideas literally at the 30,000 word mark. Yeah, You're like, I don't want to keep writing this. What if there's something that's shiny? Let's get out of there. (laughs) Well, then he's like, so yesterday, last night, we're literally doing dishes, getting ready for bed. And he's like, so how many words in are you? Because I've been reading back through it, and I'm like, well, I'm about 30,000 words in, and I think it's probably about a third of the way into, like, the overarching storyline of the novel. But that's 30,000 words in with almost exclusively dialogue. There is mm-hmm. very little inner dialogue. The only inner dialogue there is because it had to help push the story along mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, character backgrounds or whatever. So I'm going to have to go back in. So that's 30,000. We multiply that by three. That's at least 90,000. And then I have to go fluff it up. So yeah. I'm like, we're looking at, you know, 100, 120, maybe 150 for this one book, <laughs> which yeah. needs to be just it, I can't split it. It's, it will have to be the one book it can't be um you know split into multiple parts it would be weird if i did that with how i have it going so far Mm -hmm. but self-publishing you have a lot more freedom to make them however big (laughs) no i think i think we we might write similarly because yeah my first draft is the the action that gets us to the next point and then just all the dialogue and the voices and, and, Mm -hmm. and things like that yeah I was like, you need some dialogue that's not, I, in my day job, I have to send like emails and stuff. And so I'll talk to my sister and I'll be like, do you want the 
facts version, like the here's the facts, which is how my first draft kind of is, like here's the things that we have to know Mm -hmm. to move it forward. Or do you want the like fluffy, nice version that is the version that it has to get to for people to want to consume it? (laughs) So I'm like, I have to like bridge the gap of like... (laughs) It started out, here's the facts, and here's, like, the baseline story, and now we need to make it, you know, give it prose and fluff and not poetry, but, like, more of a flow to it than just dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. (laughs) Yeah, it has to be fun. It can't just be need-to-know basis kind of stuff. Yeah. Unless, I mean, there are some genres that that is how you write it but fantasy is yeah. not one of them <laughs> no you get you can meander you can absolutely yeah yeah i feel like let's see sci-fi which mine would kind of bridge the gap between fantasy and mm-hmm. sci-fi um sci-fi would be more of those here's the facts but you also have to describe like you know the spaceship in the sky that you're on you got to describe that yeah yeah if absolutely. you just said i'm floating in the sky <laughs> Then they float it off. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So are you flying? Are you like, (laughs) I I need I need to answer the question so I don't get the questions. (laughs) All right. Well, do you have any final words or anything that you'd like to your your book's coming out on the 14th? I believe this. um, So I split each episode into two parts. So one will air before the 14th. And I think the other one is like the day before the 14th or something. Um is how I had you scheduled. Um, so any any final advice for the um, go by the book or final tips for writing or anything? Uh, no, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, uh, you know, every every everyone out there, you, if you have a story that's that's under your skin that you've got a hankering to tell, go for it, go tell it. Uh, make friends, support other people. I just mm-hmm. want to say one of the things that, that Freya does here with with her platform is absolutely fantastic. And if you are listening, go ahead and pause it and hit a subscribe and hit five stars and and support her and her endeavor because she's only lifting up the community and and, and helping other people. Uh, And and yeah, just just selflessly help each other out because uh, it's it's a tough gig. And mm-hmm. it can be a pretty isolating uh, gig at times. And so it's it's always good to, to have friends buy their books, support them, help them out. And uh, leave them uh, reviews. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> leave reviews, review on TikTok, word of mouth. Uh, you know, it, I don't I don't believe that books are objectively good or bad, but I think every book has the type of person that could absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you know that person, you know, get that book in that person's hand. Um, but, yeah, just uh, just spread the love and help each other out. It's it's a it's a tough, tough road to hoe and, and keep at it, y'all. Keep going. And don't wait till you're 50. No, you don't have to. <laughs> That's a myth. <laughs> that is a what is it called when like you you get an idea in your head even though it's not true <laughs> oh yeah confirmation bias something like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well all these people i see on tv are in their 50s so you must right? have to be 50 to make it <laughs> i figured it out all right well thank you so much for your time today thank well, you, you so have much. no problem you have a good saturday and i'll be on the lookout for more of your books and All right, TikToks. you as well. <laughs> All Have right. a good one. I'm looking forward to hearing it. All right, bye.
Getting older, Zachary liked Greek mythology. A major branch of classical mythology, Greek mythology is the body of myths originally told by the ancient Greeks, and a genre of ancient Greek folklore. These stories concern the origin and nature of the world, the lives and activities of deities, heroes, and mythological creatures, and the origins and significance of the ancient Greeks' own cult and ritual practices. Modern scholars study the myths to shed light on the religious and political institutions of ancient Greece, and to better understand the nature of mythmaking itself. The Greek myths were initially propagated in an oral poetic tradition, most likely by Minoan and Mycenaean singers starting in the 18th century BC. Eventually, the myths of the heroes of the Trojan War and its aftermath became part of the oral tradition of Homer's epic poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Two poems by Homer's near-contemporary, Hesiod, the Theogony and the Works of Days, contain accounts of the genesis of the world, the succession of divine rulers, the succession of human ages, the origin of human woes, and the origin of sacrificial practices. Myths are also preserved in the Homeric hymns, in fragments of epic poems of the epic cycle, in lyric poems, in the works of the tragedians and comedians of the 5th century BC, in writings of scholars and poets of the Hellenistic age, and in texts from the time of the Roman Empire by writers such as Plutarch and Pausanias. Aside from this narrative deposit in ancient Greek literature, pictorial representations of gods, heroes, and mythic episodes featured prominently in ancient vase paintings, and the decorative of votive gifts and many other artifacts. Geometric designs on pottery of the 8th century BC depict scenes from the epic cycle as well as the adventures of Heracles. In the succeeding archaic, classical, and Hellenistic periods, Homeric and various other mythical scenes appear, supplementing the existing literary evidence. Greek mythology has had an extensive influence on the culture, arts, and literature of Western civilization, and remains part of Western heritage and language. Poets and artists from ancient times to the present have derived inspiration from Greek mythology and have discovered contemporary significance and relevance in the themes. Today we'll be reading The Slaying of the Minotaur by Andrew Lang. Don't forget, we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The Slaying of the Minotaur Theseus first fastened one end of his coil of string to a pointed rock, and then began to look about him. The labyrinth was dark, and he slowly walked, holding the string, down the broadest path from which others turned off to right or left. He counted his steps, and he had taken near three thousand steps when he saw the pale sky showing in a small circle cut in the rocky roof above his head, and he saw the fading stars— Sheer walls of rock went up on either hand of him. A roof of rock was above him. But in the roof was this one open place, across which were heavy bars. Soon the daylight would come. Theseus set the lamp down on a rock behind a corner, and he waited, thinking at a place where a narrow dark path turned at right angles to the left. Looking carefully round, he saw a heap of bones. Not human bones, but skulls of oxen and sheep, hooves of oxen and shank bones. This, he thought, must be the place where the food of the Minotaur is let down to him from above. They have not Athenian youths and maidens to give him every day. Beside his feeding place, I will wait. 
Saying this to himself, he rose and went round to the corner of the dark, narrow path, cut in the rock to the left. He made his own breakfast from the food that Ariadne had given him, and it occurred to his mind that probably the Minotaur might also be thinking of breakfast time. He sat still, and from far away within he heard a faint sound like the end of the echo of a roar, and he stood up, drew his long sword, and listened keenly. The sound came nearer and louder, a strange sound not deep like the roar of a bull, but more shrill and thin. Theseus laughed silently, a monster with the head and tongue of a bull, but with the chest of a man could roar no better than that. The sounds came nearer and louder, but still with the thin, sharp tone in them. Theseus now took from his bosom the file of gold that Medea had given him in Athens when she told him about the Minotaur. He removed the stopper and held his thumb over the mouth of the file and grasped his long sword with his left hand. After fastening the clue of thread to his belt, the roars of the hungry Minotaur came nearer and nearer. Now his feet could be heard padding along the echoing floor of the labyrinth. Theseus moved to the shadowy corner of the narrow path, where it opened into the broad light passage, and he crouched there. His heart was beating quickly. On came the Minotaur. Up leapt Theseus and dashed the contents of the open file in the eyes of the monster. A white dust flew out, and Theseus leapt back into his hiding place. The Minotaur uttered strange shrieks of pain. He rubbed his eyes with his monstrous hands. He raised his head up towards the sky, bellowing and confused. He stood tossing his head up and down. He turned round and round about, feeling with his hands for the wall. He was quite blind. Theseus drew his short sword, crept up on naked feet behind the monster, and cut through the back sinews of his legs at the knees. Down fell the minotaur with a crash and a roar, biting at the rocky floor with his lion's teeth and waving his hands and clutching at the empty air. Theseus waited for his chance, when the clutching hands rested, and then thrice he drove the long, sharp blade of bronze through the heart of the Minotaur. The body leapt and lay still. Theseus kneeled down and thanked all the gods and promised rich sacrifices, and a new temple to Pallas Athene, the guardian of Athens. When he had finished his prayer... He drew the short sword and hacked off the head of the Minotaur. He sheathed both his swords, took the head in his hand, and followed the string back out of the daylit place to the rock where he had left his lamp. With the lamp and the guidance of the string, he easily found his way to the door, which he unlocked. He noticed that the thick bronze plates of the door were dented and scarred by the points of the horns of the Minotaur trying to force his way out. He went out into the fresh early morning, all the birds were singing merrily, and Mary was the heart of Theseus. He locked the door and crossed to the palace, which he entered, putting the key in the place which Ariadne had shown him. She was there, with fear and joy in her eyes. Touch me not, said Theseus, for I am foul with the blood of the Minotaur. She brought him to the baths on the ground floor and swiftly fled up a secret stair, in the bathroom, Theseus made himself clean and clad himself in fresh raiment, which was lying ready for him. When he was clean and clad, he tied a rope of byblus round the horns of the head of the Minotaur and went round the back of the palace, trailing the head behind him till he came to a sentinel. I would see King Minos, he said. I have the password. 
Androgios. The sentinel, pale and wondering, let him pass. And so he went through the guards and reached the great door of the palace. And there the servants wrapped the bleeding head in cloth, that it might not stain the floors. Theseus bade him lead him to King Minos, who was seated on his throne, judging the four guardsmen that had been found asleep. When Theseus entered, followed by his serving men with their burden, the king never stirred on his throne, but turned his gray eyes on Theseus. My lord, said Theseus, that which was to be done is done. The servants laid their burden at the feet of King Minos and removed the top fold of the covering. The king turned to the captain of his guard. A week in the cells for each of these four men, said he. And the four guards who had expected to die by a cruel death were led away. Let that head and the body also be burned to ashes and thrown into the sea far from the shore, said Minos. And his servants silently covered the head of the Minotaur and bore it from the throne room. Then, at last, Minos rose from his throne and took the hand of Theseus and said, Sir, I thank you, and I give you back your company safe and free, and I am no more in hatred with your people. Let there be peace between me and them, but will you not abide with us a while and be our guests? Theseus was glad enough, and he and his company tarried in the palace and were kindly treated. Minos showed Theseus all the splendor and greatness of his kingdom and his ships, and great armories full of all manner of weapons. The names and numbers of them are yet known, for they are written on tablets of clay that were found in the storehouse of the king. Later in the twilight, Theseus and Ariadne would walk together in the fragrant gardens where the nightingales sang, and Minos knew it and was glad. He thought that nowhere in the world could he find such a husband for his daughter, and he deemed it wise to have the alliance of so great a king as Theseus promised to be. But loving his daughter, he kept Theseus with him long, till the prince was ashamed of his delay, knowing that his father, King Aegis, and all the people of his country were looking for him anxiously. Therefore he told what was in his heart to Minos, who sighed and said, "'I knew what is in your heart, and I cannot say you nay.' I give to you my daughter as gladly as a father may. And they spoke of things of state and made firm alliance between Knossos and Athens while they both lived, and the wedding was done with great splendor. And at last Theseus and Ariadne and all their company went aboard and sailed from Crete. One misfortune they had. The captain of their ship died of a sickness while they were in Crete, but Minos gave them the best of his captains, Yet by reason of storms and tempests, they had a long and terrible voyage, driven out of their course into strange seas. When at length they found their bearings, a grievous sickness fell on beautiful Ariadne. Day by day she was weaker, till Theseus, with a breaking heart, stayed the ship at an isle but two days sail from Athens. There Ariadne was carried ashore and laid in a bed in the house of the king of that island, and the physicians and the wise women did for her what they could. But she died with her hands in the hands of Theseus, and his lips on her lips. In that isle she was buried, and Theseus went on board his ship and drew his cloak over his head, and so lay for two days, never moving nor speaking, and hasting neither meat nor drink, no man dared speak to him, but when the vessel stopped in the harbor of Athens, he arose and stared about him, 
The shore was dark with people dressed in the morning raiment, and the herald of the city came with news that Aegis the king was dead. For the Cretan captain did not know that he was to hoist the scarlet sail if Theseus came home in triumph, and Aegis, as he watched the waters, had described the dark sail from afar off, and in his grief had thrown himself down from the cliff and was drowned. This was the end of the voyaging of Theseus. Theseus wished to die and be with Ariadne in the land of Queen Persephone, but he was a strong man, and he lived to be the greatest of the kings of Athens, for all the other towns came in and were his subjects, and he ruled them well. His first care was to build a great fleet in secret harbors far from towns and the ways of men, for though he and Minos were friends while they both lived, when Minos died, the new Cretan king might oppress Athens. Minos died at last, and his son picked a quarrel with Theseus, who refused to give up a man that had fled to Athens because the new king desired to slay him. And news came to Theseus that a great navy was being made ready in Crete to attack him. Then he sent heralds to the king of a fierce people called the Dorians, who were moving through the countries to the northwest of Greece, seizing lands, settling on them and marching forward again in a few years. They were wild strong and brave, and they are said to have had swords of iron, which were better than the bronze weapons of the Greeks. The heralds of Theseus said to them, Come to our king, and he will take you across the sea and show you plunder enough, but you shall swear not to harm his kingdom. This pleased the Dorians well, and the ships of Theseus brought them round to Athens, where Theseus joined them with many of his own men, and they did the oath. They sailed swiftly to Crete." Whereas they arrived in the dark, the Cretan captains thought that they were part of their own navy, coming in to join them in the attack on Athens, for that Theseus had a navy the Cretans knew not. He had built it so secretly. In the night he marched his men to Knossos and took the garrison by surprise, and burned the palace and plundered it. Even now we can see that the palace has been partly burned, and hurriedly robbed by some sudden enemy. The Dorian stayed in Crete and were there in the time of Ulysses, holding part of the island, while the true Cretans held the greater part of it. But Theseus returned to Athens, and married Hippolyte, queen of the Amazons. The story of their wedding festival is told in Shakespeare's play A Midsummer Night's Dream. And Theseus had many new adventures, and many troubles, but he left Athens rich and strong, and in no more danger from the kings of Crete, though the Dorians after the time of Ulysses, swept all over the rest of Greece, and seized Mycenae and Lacedaemon, the towns of Agamemnon and Menelaus, and they were true to their oath to Theseus and left Athens to the Athenians. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for April's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.